We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live, the people of the Gubby Gubby Nation, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. It's time for the uh, sponsorship read. Let's get into it. Of course, we want a website, uh, some details about their programs, and maybe where people can find them on the socials. Yeah, love it. Well, we'll start off with the website. So www.suncoastspinners.com.au is where you can find all of their upcoming information about any events, tournaments, local programs, uh, where to be and what time. Uh, Spot on, Jimmy. Great. Over to you, Cam. Definitely Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We don't know about TikTok. We might have to get them onto TikTok, definitely. They're not a very big social media. Well, we know that they have a link tree which has all of them listed on it. So jump on their link tree and you'll be able to find it from suncoastspinners.com.au. And who are we thanking for the money? Uh, I want to throw a big shout out to Bridie Keane and the rest of the board for supporting us and backing us on this venture. You guys are doing really well at this now. You're getting real pro, to be honest. (laughs) We'll we'll cut this up and it will sound beautiful when we get it to air. Love it. Let's get into it. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining in for episode 20. Cam, who have we got on today? We have Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Dr. Dinesh. He is an absolute inspiration. This man has gone through adversary challenges. He's pushed through to continue his research, his career goals, and continues to provide so much to the community as well. We know that personally through Wheelchair Rugby League. He's donated some jerseys. Also going to increase the IQ of this room between you and I because, you know... We can't even read a picture book, so well, at least he'll make us sound smarter today. Speaking of books, we touch on that. We touch on the accident. We touch on what he's doing in his research. So we hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Danish, we'd like to welcome you to Take a Seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. Ooh, thanks for having me. I've been really excited about this chat. Oh, excellent. So can you give us a 30-second, <laughs> what would be your 30-second intro or like, uh, what is it, an elevator pitch? What, yeah. For, for, you, for yourself, a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a pump up, you know. Let the people know who you are. Pumper? Oh, man, that's a pressure, eh? <laughs> yeah. uh, I am Australia's most handsome doctor. That's all we need. No, we don't need any more than that. That's perfect. That's good, good, good. <laughs> Love it. So, Dr. Dr. Dinesh, we fact-checked one of two doctors in the world with quadriplegia and the only in Australia. Yeah, so one of two quadriplegic doctors to graduate in Australia. Okay. It's, yeah. Perfect. We yeah. got to. I got to fact check maybe more, a few more times than once. <laughs> hey. Okay. So let's. Um. Cam's told you about the hard cards. He, yes. He briefed. He briefed on them. Okay. Sweet. So Cam's going to just for the for the listeners that uh, are just jumping in on this episode, he's going to give you a quick description as to what they are. If you've listened before, skip fifteen seconds and we'll be right into it. <laughs> so the listeners that haven't heard before, we have a hard, a deck of hard cards here. These hard cards are questions that have come from the internet. They're questions from James and myself, and they're questions from our guests. We do actually have a new feature where you can jump onto our link tree and hit our voicemail, and you can actually record a hard card question, and we'll play it live on the episode. But for this episode, we have our hard cards, and what we get you to do, Danish, is uh, select three cards. James is fanning them out. You select them, and then we get an answer from these, a little bit of a story, and see where we can go. Oh, man. All right. Let's go with uh, Ten of Diamonds. Ten of diamonds. Ace of diamonds. Oh, yeah. Ten of diamonds. Ace of, sorry, what? Ace of diamonds. Ace of diamonds. Oh, we've had that before. There we go. And what else we got? Uh, let's go with two of hearts. All red ones. Lovely. Yeah. 
Alrighty, so I'll read one question out. We get a bit of story or an answer from that, and then we'll go on to the next one and so forth. All right, wicked. What is accessibility to you? That is, that's a really good question. You know what? Accessibility, I think, is, um, I don't think accessibility just relates to people with a disability. I don't think accessibility just relates to a certain population. I think accessibility is where actually everyone in the world can access without challenge the community or employment or education or healthcare or anything it is to live a good life. And accessibility to me is a point in time, hopefully, where our society is at a point where we don't have to have these conversations when we don't have to wonder what accessibility is. It just is. And everyone can just live a life. That's accessibility. That is bang on the money. Yeah, That is exactly what we want uh, uh, accessibility to be where it's not even a thought process. It is just there. It is happening. It is everyday life. That yeah. would be perfect. Can I, can I um, jump on the back end of that? And what is inaccessibility to you? Inaccessibility would be the opposite of that, right? Like inaccessibility would be, you know, okay, so I read that a human being cannot be broken and it's society that breaks people by the structures and the way we do things. I think inaccessibility is where we have attitudes and structures and systems and processes and physical environments where we where we disable people. That's inaccessibility. I like that. We're we're both sitting here just nodding away, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm getting lectured right now. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would really agree with that. For me, it's I feel that the the environment is what creates an individual's disability. If the environment was accessible for that individual and to whatever disability that they might have, then there really actually isn't a disability. If they're able to do what they want in the set environment in this place, then there's no, then for me, there isn't such thing as a disability. Yeah, I think so. I think like so many things, right? Like it's not hard these days. We have the technology, we have the capacity, we even have the investment and the funding to do it, particularly in a country like Australia. If you're looking at other places, you know, that there are some developing nations. Like where I was born in Sri Lanka, they actually don't have money and the infrastructure to do a lot of things and they struggle with little. But in a country like this where we've invested so much, I think we have very few excuses to do things. Man, I went, like, recently I went skydiving and I started to learn to fly. So if we can do those things, what like what, what is preventing someone from getting around, getting on a train, getting on a tram, getting on a bus, getting to a hospital, getting to a clinic. Like, what, why can't we do that? It just Absolutely. should be easy. I was going to say, what what kind of adjustments have been made for yourself to learn to fly? Because I know there's a woman in America that has no legs and knows how to fly. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what accessibility changes have been made for yourself? You know, it's, it's amazing. So down in Melbourne, there's a flying school called Wheelies with Wings, and they have a modified plane, which actually just has a factory option of having the rudder controls as a hand control. And that's pretty much all you need. So isn't it funny because you think you have this idea, and I think it's it's like that with a lot of things, even for me to become a doctor and even with um, other professions and other things, we have all these ideas like, oh, man, that actually, how the hell are we going to make that work? How is this going to be possible? But it turns out it's actually very literal. So there doesn't need to be too much modification to fly a plane, surprisingly. 
because it's the, so the the rudder is the only only control panel which is controlled by your feet, which is the the panning of of the of the vehicle, of the aircraft. So if you're sitting at home on a or you're sitting on a swivel chair, imagine yourself spinning on the spot. That's, that's the panning action, and that's what's, what what uh, Dinesh would be controlling with his hands. Exactly. So and really like so it, it makes it very um, straightforward to fly that thing. But I also thought, man, how the hell am I going to fly a plane? But someone's already done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess that's a. Uh... And some of the, something that a lot of kids want to do is learn how to fly a plane, and that ties in really nicely with question number two. What would you tell a young child with a disability for the future? I think I've got a bunch of thoughts on this. One is, you know, when you're a kid and you're growing up and there, there are people that have different things that they say about what you can and can't do. Like some people might say, man, it's actually, when I was a kid, right, I was told that it was really hard to do certain things that was really hard to become a pilot and it's really hard to become a doctor. And, you know, like it, it already, it looks like a big mountain to climb, but I was lucky enough to have my mom and she's always taught me that anything's possible, right? Like whenever I had an idea, ever since I was growing up, if I wanted to try something, if I wanted to do something, she's like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you can do that. This is how you can do it. And this is how you can do it. So I've been really lucky to have a person in my life that has always instilled in me that things are possible and that we can do things. So I think if we have someone like that in our life, we have to cherish that. But if if we don't, I think we have to remember that anything is possible. You can dream big. Like the world has been shaped by the big dreamers, the big people that, the people who who have tried things, who have pushed the limits, who have stretched the boundaries, who, you know, we, we thought once thought it was impossible to run 100 metres in less than 10 seconds, but someone did it. We once thought it was impossible to go to the moon, but someone did it. So it's just that belief and you have to keep that belief and don't tell anyone that you can't and don't tell anyone that you shouldn't and don't, don't let anyone place limits on you because it's, it's people who have dreamt big and who have, who have transcended those limits that have changed the world and have done these amazing things and at the end of the day time flies right i think i think the years tick on by and i think eventually we get to a point in our life where we're looking back and we're taking stock of what we've done and we need to be able to look at that without regret because things can happen any day right my life changed without me expecting it at the age of 25 so if someone told me when I was a kid or even when I was 18 years old that, hey, dude, you have seven years left of walking, what are you going to do with that? You know, like it, it would have actually, I mean, I'm pretty glad that I took, I, I seized the day most of the time, but you look at life differently, right? So I guess the point is there's no time to waste and you have to seize the day and you have to live the life that you want. So don't tell anyone, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I love that. And I love how you touched on uh, limits and, and, and pushing yourself to the limit. And I want to link back to episode 16 with, with Jezza Williams, uh, Making Tracks. He spoke a lot about uh, finding your limits and that we grow through challenging situations. And so he said, the only way we can really live to our potential is live to our limits. And the only way we can learn our limits is to be challenged. So I, I really, I, I love that. Just think that's the best, you know, to be able to push yourself to the limits to find where you can be challenged and then grow from that and, and overcome it and you'll be a better person at the end of it. I just, yeah. yeah I, I, and I love that actually to 
challenge ourselves and to push ourselves to the limit because we often see hardship as hardship. But um, it was once said that you have to pity the person that has never faced hardship because they have never had a chance to prove themselves and to understand what they're capable of. So we, we should throw ourselves into challenge. We should throw ourselves into hardship because only then can we get to know ourselves and what we're capable of because we're actually capable of so much, right? All of us. And question number three is, how do you or are you adjusting to changes in your life due to your disability? Or how have you, I guess? Hmm. That's an interesting question. You know, the thing is, right, I've, um, before the spinal cord injury happened, I had depression. I had depression for probably a year or two. At least it was a little while. And when I had depression, my life was actually, I, th- I think that was a disability. I really struggled. I didn't go out of the house. I was in my room most of the time. I struggled at uni. I struggled with jobs, struggled with relationships, I struggled with friendships. I wasn't happy. I was sad and anxious and, and, and depressed. Then I had the spinal cord injury and it was, it was tough, right? It, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to start with. But over the last few years, like I have done so much. I've been able to do so much. I've been able to, like I, I feel every day I'm grateful, right? Every day I'm, I feel privileged, I'm thankful. But so I always wonder comparing these two experiences. I'm like, And uh, like, am I actually more empowered and stronger and better? And I feel more capable now, which is weird, right? So how has my life changed or how have I adjusted after the disability? I feel like actually I've seized life a lot more and I've done a lot more and it's made me value life a lot more, makes me value moments a lot more. And I feel, I feel better for it, feel stronger for it. I feel more capable for it. I feel happier. I feel more enthusiastic, which is really weird, but that's really the adjustment I made. Is it that mindset of don't worry about if you were to not do it, worry about what happens when you do it? Is that, do you know they're saying I'm trying to get at Cam? I There's don't, a, but I, I, have, like, I have a feeling, like I, I yeah. understand what you're trying to say. Like don't, don't feel as though you haven't done it, do it and then be like, oh yeah, cool. That was good. That was good. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I guess the, the way to look at it for me is like if I see a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous girl across the bar and I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, ah, oh, the boy's like, go on, go on, go, go say good day, go on, go on. I'm like, ah, oh, no, nah, she's, she's, she's with her mates. Like, just let's, let's not go there. Don't worry about the, the idea, yeah, the rejection, but worry about if, if you were to not do it or if you were to do it, what would come from that? Yeah, seize the moment. Um, yeah. You, you, you can only fail if you don't try. Yeah. That, that's if you, if you try, then there's no failing. Failing is only from not trying in, in my perspective. Uh, maybe that's that's the yeah. mindset that I have from it. The biggest failure is not trying at all. And the biggest failure is letting failure win. And the biggest regret is not doing things. I think we will always regret the things that we didn't do and did do, right? If you said hi to that girl across the bar, you'd be like, man, I said hi. And she said no. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's going to be uh, that's going to be the quote. By the way, we're going to put that up as the quote for you. That was great. I love that. So moving on to yeah, well, I think I think that pretty well polished off the hard cards really well. So it, it did. Thank you for those excellent. Answers. Yeah, I love the cards, man. That's cool. 
Hmm. Uh, I, I was reading a number of articles. Cameron and I were talking about this outside. Um, he was actually walking into the servo and didn't recognise me and I'm sort of hiding <laughs> behind the, the aisle popped up. And we were talking about the articles and we didn't want to go too much into them. But what we what I did want to touch on is that in one of the articles, one of the ABC articles I think it was, that you touched on the idea of providing better care for patients because you, of yeah. what you experienced and the vulnerability as being a patient. And so Cameron, being an ex-phys, has... Is, is in the uncomfortable spaces of working very closely with people. Myself, providing support work, I'm generally working with people in, again, uncomfortable scenarios and trying to make it as comfortable as possible. So we wanted to sort of touch base on how, on your experiences of, of being vulnerable as a patient and how you're looking to provide that better care as a service provider, as a doctor. Yeah, I think it's really interesting hearing your perspective about providing care because I think, you know, you might be doing one-on-one care or you might be doing it in a very close setting and I feel like your heart is very much in it from what you just told me a second ago. But I think when you're in a system, when a patient is in a large system like the healthcare system or a hospital where there's so many moving bits, I don't know if it's geared enough to really, really look after someone, you know, like a hospital is a scary place like our emergency department is a scary place for a patient there are all these buzzers noises there are noisy people there are drunk people there are police sometimes there's there's a lot happening around you and you're suddenly there and if especially if you have a disability like a spinal cord injury or or a little child with some sort of you know some sort of disability which might affect their sensory needs it it can be a terrifying place so I think there's a lot that we can do to make these things better for our patients. There's a lot that we can do to improve the experience. And thinking back to when I was a patient, I was in hospital for seven or eight months after the injury. And then I was, again, probably for another cumulatively, probably about six to 12 weeks or like through through the period of time. And I hated every single moment of it. I've hated being a patient, which is ironic, right? I'm a after we do this podcast, I'm going to go to work yeah. and I love it. I think the thing is like you feel so disempowered. You feel you're taken out of your normal environment. You don't have control of anything, right? You don't have control of anything. When I was going through the hospital system, there were even instances of sexual abuse, not just to me but to other some, some of the other people that I shared the ward with. So there's a huge amount of vulnerability and this, this is reflected on the data particularly for people with disability, that there's a higher level of violence, whether it be sexual or physical or whatever else. So it's really made me think about how we provide care. But I think it, first of all, it starts with one person at a time. I think we have an opportunity to do it, like whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a physio or, or whoever it might be working in the hospital system. I think it's just one person at a time. And that single impact that we can make on a patient by just being kind to them just by having a conversation and just by making the environment nice for them makes it makes a big impact on a person. And that impact can actually last a long time, right? One of the stories that I tell often is uh, out of all the time that I've spent in hospital, my most memorable moment is when I was in the ambulance being taken to the hospital. And there was a doctor in that ambulance who I, I happen to know, which is just crazy, it's chance. But I remember the way he spoke to me. I remember the way he made me feel. I remember feeling safe. I remember feeling hopeful. I remember feeling optimistic. And I remember feeling okay because of the way he talked to me and dealt with like a human being. 
I don't remember any of the medical things he did. I don't remember any of the technical things he did. So people may not remember what you do for them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And that's the opportunity we have. Whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in disability care, whatever else, we have the opportunity through the way we make people feel to leave a lifelong impact. And that's power. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up, and it's funny that you did mention it, but most people won't realize that in a hospital setting, a lot of level three autism, children in particular, I know of quite a few that need to be sedated to even go to a medical appointment, in particular dentistry. The expense goes up for, for people to go to the, the, the hospital or to the dentist and things. That's a large thing, as you said, with noises, bells, people, rooms, lights. You think of all of the sensory things that you could possibly put in a hospital and then take someone that is highly susceptible to sensors and then try and give them medical expertise or get in their personal space and things. It's, it's, it's crazy how that that's what we require. But as you said, as a medical practitioner, you can really help the family, even support mum or dad or whoever, a support worker, whoever's taking that person. Your patient care for that person can really change the entire situation that happens. And definitely looking at that scenario is a great way to be looking at it for anybody. What you can do individually doesn't matter about the treatment and the care you provide someone. It's just how you interact with them. Is there, Are you aware, Dinesh, of anything within any hospitals that are looking to create a more accessible or less sensory triggering environment? Like, for example, like in an emergency ward or something, rather having a, having a room that does have dimmable lights or soundproof or, or something rather that would uh, mitigate the tr- any triggering? Our paediatric emergency department is pretty good at um, catering to kids with sensory needs. So they always take into account and that there are some rooms where we can actually close the door and make a bit of a better, quieter environment for kids. But I think just hospitals in general probably don't really think about it in the chaos of things. So, yeah, it's it's variable. It's variable. The Take a Seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morrow Field and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. Staying on the kids and paediatric side of things, I know that you yourself personally had Gold Coast Titans donate Southeast Queensland Wheelchair Rugby League a lot of jerseys for our, our kids' programs. So Southeast Queensland Wheelchair Rugby League is very, very thankful for yourself for uh, donating or getting those jerseys donated to the kids. Um, they wear them every weekend. and They look uh, bloody good in them too. They do yeah. look good in them. It's great. But we also know that you are involved in the people with a disability rugby league side at the Gold Coast Titans. Do you want to explain to people how that come about and, and what that involves and, and go from there for us? So the Gokos Titans were uh, doing a disability rugby league program and it was an intellectual and physical and it's been in development for a while and it's amazing, right? We have a part of our team going over to um, the international rugby league soon and it's super exciting and the guys are so passionate and they're so, you know, they're just the joy around the program and the community and 
it op- also opens up opportunities, you know, whether it be employment or community access or even actually uncovering some health issues and addressing them. So there's so much there that adds value. I think it was a couple of years ago, I just saw it on the news and I thought, man, this is really cool. So I just reached out and uh, asked if I can help and I've been involved ever since. The program is just awesome and it's grown and we have people come actually from northern New South Wales and all over the southeast Queensland corner and it's just grown and grown and grown and it's just been a great thing to see all these guys coming together and playing sport and playing rugby. You know, it's so much more than sport. That That's the thing for me. It's it, it benefits people from so many different things like community. So I've loved being a part of that and the heart behind the whole thing is what's just the best. The Gold Coast Titans side, while it's not recognised and actually a part of the World Cup, they are playing at the same time, the people with the disability team. And the Gold Coast Titans have something like six or eight kids, or I shouldn't say kids, but six or eight players that are involved in the Australian side. So the Gold Coast Titans have had a very, very big contingency in team that's going over there, which is awesome. I'm super happy to see that. Do you you know, Dinesh, did they get them? Is it actually like running inside the rugby league world cup or is it running stand aside like because i know for the wheelchair side we're considered a part of the tournament i remember seeing a few interviews or videos being promoted that uh, they were trying to get it involved did they successfully get it in in or is it sort of to the side structurally i'm not actually uh that's a really good question structurally i'm not sure how the whole thing's set up mm. in, in terms of the international competition. I do give some medical input to the classification committee for the International Rugby League. And uh, we've been working through a bunch of different, really actually interesting conversations with Australia, New Zealand and Idaho. But structurally, I'm, I'm not really sure how it's set up. It's a really good question. I should check that out. I can actually help you out with that one, James. So this year's World Cup is showcase. Uh, so it's running alongside, but it has recently been – so it's encompassed in the Rugby League World Cup. It is not a part of the World Cup itself. Like it doesn't have a trophy and everything with it. But for Paris's, which is the next Rugby League World Cup, it will be included. So they're using this one as a format to show how it will run and get that platform happening. And then in Paris, it will actually be fully sanctioned and running at the same time and everything uh, with – the next Rugby League World Cup, to my knowledge. Paris 2025. Yes, yes, which is what I only know that from Adam Hills. So Adam Hills is a huge, huge advocate for the sport. Um, He's brought it over here with Warrington Wolves and played against South Sydney Rabbits. He still plays over there. He's a massive, massive advocate for it and is doing a lot of promotion in England and also back here in Australia. And if he's what he's wrote, which I can only assume would be correct, that is how he has said that it's, it's happening. Is there running alongside as a part of it, but then for Paris, it will actually be involved as a fully sanctioned part of, of the World Cup. That would be amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Sorry, Dinesh, the classification system for what's the term for the rugby that you're that you're a part of? What would you call it? Is it international? Is it like a- – Yeah. So the IRL, the International Rugby League, there's a classification committee – 
for the disability. But that's the run, the running version for those with physical and intellectual disabilities, but running yeah. format? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the like, so for example, basketball being uh, everyone's ranked between one and 4.5 and then there's a maximum of 14 points on a National League squad on the court at one time. So on the field, what what's the makings of the of the points in the classification system? Yeah, that's also a great question. Hey, like I haven't been too involved again in the mechanics of the classification itself. But um, I've, I've, given, I've given more of the medical input, like say, oh, okay. yeah. you know, how do we how do we decide if someone is, say, if someone has a particular type of head injury or a or a stent or something like that, whether that's going to be safe enough, and whether we need more, say, specialist input to deem that to be safe. So, so that yeah, okay. kind of question. yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, but the classifiers are actually they have a fairly complex task. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no disability is the same. Whether it's got the same name or not, it's you. You can't put one and one next to one another and say it's the same thing. The interesting thing I found is like everyone's so passionate, right? So there are some very, very passionate conversations around the place as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always funny when at basketball when you go to like a national event or a state level event, and it's sort of you're looking at everyone's classifications, and there's a snickering on the sidelines. Like, is he really a two point five? <laughs> he's no way he's 2.5 he's a three look look, look you know he's far out no no shot he's yeah. a one get you know like it is yeah. yeah there's all sorts of things the classifiers come and they're like no he's gonna get bumped up half a point the coaches come over no way is he getting bumped. that's an international classification right you cannot change his classification blah, 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 blah. it's 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 heated yeah as you say passionate passionate very heated. <laughs> now i've been following your journey me myself personally since 2018 and i was blown away by the research that you're doing. So I was lucky enough to be an exhibitor with Mitya and the Molly suit at the brain injury conference in Brisbane. And they were talking about your research as to what you're doing and how it's changing for spinal cord injury and exercise in the general health and well-being of, of life. For the listeners that don't know about your research, do you want to give us a bit of insight as to how you got into it and what it is? Yeah, I mean, um, so we, we have a bunch of spinal cord research going on in Queensland in a bunch of different areas, including stem cells and others. But essentially, when I had the injury, I was looking at what's happening in research and what's happening in this area and what the future looks like. And over the years that came, I started to see some really interesting things happening, which used electrical stimulation and drug therapy and thought-controlled activity in people. And there were some studies done at, in Switzerland and at UCLA in Los Angeles and the Duke University in the US as well, where they've tried different bits of these therapies. And uh, people who have had spinal cord injuries for many years have regained voluntary function after that. And it hasn't been perfect by any means, like they've still needed a lot of assistance and it hasn't been like people aren't running around or anything like that yet, but they have regained some voluntary function. So this was really exciting because for thousands of years, we haven't been able to do that. I have a friend we met purely by chance. He's a biomechanical engineer. And we started talking about some of these therapies and we built a project here in Queensland, putting together thought control and electrical stimulation and drug therapy. And a couple of years ago, we got $2 million of funding from the Queensland government. So now we are uh, building this project. We have five people with spinal cord injuries that we're 
pilot testing some of this work through and uh, we're hopeful about the future and we're hopeful about where this will go and we're, uh, we're excited and I think there is a lot of promise. We just, just got to keep the ball rolling. And I think there's a sense of urgency too, you know, because for a person with a spinal cord injury like life, life's ticking along. And every year that goes by, it's time. And every year that goes by, like there are, there can be complications, there can be other bits and pieces. So there's a sense of urgency for people in the spinal cord community as well. We're excited about the research. We're hopeful about the future and we're trying to move things along quickly. And I think it's really important for people with spinal cord injury or actually whatever it might be, you know, if it's whatever medical condition it might be to be involved in actual research because it gives that inside perspective. It gives the perspective of the person who has the condition and it keeps things moving along and nudging along. So I think it's really important to have more people involved in this kind of research. Absolutely, yeah. Just so that people understand, the research is using kind of electrical stimulation to go beyond the site of injury to be able to cycle a push bike. Am I correct? Yeah. So we have we have a bicycle, we have a exoskeleton, uh, like a robotic walker as well, which isn't set up yet, but we have it in our lab. We have a hand therapy machine as well. So we're building a full suite of things that can be controlled by thought. So we have a headset that essentially reads your thoughts and brain names and then translates them into activity. That is impressive. Yeah, Anna. that's so a- cognitive, <laughs> cognitive control, is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You train the brain and train the spinal cord. Yeah, and we use a drug that it's actually an anti antidepressant and an anti anxiety drug, which they've used in the US and Switzerland. But essentially, it kind of makes sense because a lot of these antidepressants and anxiety drugs, for them to really work optimally, you have to do therapy as well. So there's a training effect, and we think that these drugs sort of enhance and help rewire the central nervous system so where we the the hypothesis is that by using the drug and by training where we're actually just enhancing the nervous system's ability to rewire itself and in the animal studies they've actually shown new neurons to have grown in the spinal cord in the rats it's unbelievable to listen to that not only are you in my mind the smartest person i've ever met but uh you're a lawyer you're a doctor, you're doing this unbelievable research, you're helping out people with a disability in community sport, and you've recently wrote a book that has now sold out already and uh, you need to do new copies and everything. Uh, do you want to tell us about your, your new book? Yeah, thanks. I'm not sure if it's sold out everywhere, but certainly some shops have run out. I had the, I think this is the thing, right? I think you have to seize every single opportunity that comes your way. And doors open and you, you, so I had the chance to go to San Francisco in 2018 to do a talk and, you know, travel can be complicated with wheelchair and spinal cord injury. So I almost didn't go, but my mum was like, no, no, you got to go, you got to go in person, you know, you need to be there. So I went, happened to meet an author there who's also a friend now and he's been encouraging me to write the book and he's helped me with bits and pieces and one thing led to another, and then I met another author just by chance. Both of them together really encouraged me and brought the book to life. And I wrote it in between work and all the other bits and pieces. And it was a really, it was a cool process. It was just going back through life. And I actually just turned 38 last week. And I feel like I've lived 
a couple of lifetimes. When I'm yeah. Yeah. But that's the book, man. It's been, it's been really awesome just seeing it, just being at an airport and seeing it at a bookshelf. And it's, it's just wild, you know. I feel yeah. so lucky. Absolutely. So it, it's called Stronger? And you yep. can get it at any any good bookstore. <laughs> As they say, any good bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Excellent, excellent. Can you tell us there's going to be a second one? Someone actually talked to me about writing a kid's book, which I'd love to do. Yeah. I think well, that, that, that links yeah. in with what we were talking about before with uh, Sarah Rose doing her uh, ABC Disabilities. Is, yeah. is that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the children's book, ABC Disabilities. I haven't seen that one drop yet, but uh, I'm still looking for it. So we'll we, see how we go. We may have to join in on both of them and maybe do a take a seat children's book. Yeah, I think yeah. that's about our reading level. Um, <laughs> I think that's about as far as we can get. Thank you. Thank you very much, Danish, for giving your time and, and sharing us the stories and, and answering the questions so willingly. Uh, nice. Thanks, guys. And uh, as if I'm keeping your ambulance in the background. So. That's, oh, no, calling. that's it's all calling. good. That's all good. Uh, it means that you're uh, needed at the work, that's for sure. Is it like the bat, the bat, the bat signal? Yeah, the bat signal. <laughs> the bat signal. Thanks, fellas. And uh, um, uh, I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks for, thanks for what you're doing. No, no, at all. Thank you for sharing. Really do appreciate everything you do. You're involved in Variety Kids. Um, you know, written your book, everything, the research. It's exceptional stuff. So um, we, we wish you all the best with the studies and, and everything else. So thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at sunkospinners.com.au. 